0: Good morning. morning. I'll be reading today Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18 from the Common English Bible. Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow slave in the Lord, will inform you about everything that has happened to me. This is why I sent him to you, so that you know all about us, and so he can encourage you, encourage your hearts. I sent him with Onesimus, our faithful and dearly beloved brother, who is one of you. They will let you know all about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, says hello to you. So does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. You receive instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, called Justice, also says hello. These are my only fellow workers for God's kingdom who are Jewish converts. They have been an encouragement to me. They have been an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, says hello. He's a slave of Christ Jesus who always wrestles for you in prayers so that you will stand firm and be fully mature and complete in the entire will of God. I can vouch for him that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke the dearly loved physician and Demas say hello. Say hello to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea along with Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you publicly make sure that the church in Laodicea reads it and to read the, the one from Laodicea and tell Archippus see to it that you complete the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I Paul, I'm writing this, this greeting personally. Remember that I am in prison. Grace be with you. Good
1: morning. Good, morning. Good, morning, good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the leadership pastor here. I'll put that right there. Dwight, I apologize. I gave him like 18 Greek names in there. It is... However, uh, there are several texts in the New Testament that don't get read, I think, and the conclusions to many letters are some of them, but today you have a sermon on just that. Before we get started, let's pray. God, thank you for what you've offered us, for the opportunity to be your servants, for a world that you see that we cannot always see. We ask for both vision, for clarity, for ears to hear today, and for souls to hope we give this time to you. Amen. Today I'm going to tell you two of my favorite stories from history and a little bit about a Star Trek episode. I haven't done something like that in a while, so good thing you came today. First is the story of Thomas Jefferson and the metric system. Thomas Jefferson, as you might know, is that guy. Thomas Jefferson was one of the founding fathers of the United States, and Thomas Jefferson loved the metric system. See, in 1793, the U.S. was in need of a common system of measurement. New York liked to use the, the old Dutch system, and New England liked to use the New English system. Not just the English system, but it should have been the New English system. Um, they liked to use the English system, which caused interstate conflict, right? Difficulty between them. So they needed a new one, Thomas Jefferson knew of one. It was in French. Uh, He loved everything French. Uh, This would be called New French if it were up to him, but um, New France, I guess. Anyway, Jefferson wrote to his friend in in France and said, Hey, give us your your, your information about this metric system you've come up with. Uh, We think it's great. We want to use it here in the U.S. So he wrote that letter, and his friend Joseph Dombey decided to bring the system here. So he was going to come show everyone and brought weight with him uh, to, to be the key weight, the key kilogram for all of the United States, all right? It was with him on this ship. He boards the ship and storms come through, sends him all the way to the Caribbean. Who's hanging out there? If you've been to Disneyland, you know it's Pirates. Pirates capture Dombey along with his little weight, and Dombey dies right there with them. and with him stays the weight. Now, there's more to the story of the weight, but it doesn't matter. What you know is the end result, and that is that McDonald's sells quarter pounders and not 113 grammars. <laughs> now, these little pieces of history may have a weight on our society, but sometimes we don't see them. What we do see is the big ones, the really big ones. We know about the events like September 11th, 2001, here in the U.S. We just went through the 20th anniversary. You can put a blank slide up there for a while now. We don't need Jefferson judging me from the, from the back there. <laughs> we just hit the 20th anniversary here. And in this, this bit of history, we've seen wars that shaped our century. We've seen the Patriot Act and Homeland Security get started still going, by the way, um, this is now a touchstone for, of memory for most Americans that you can remember where you were when the terrorist attack occurred on September 11, 2001. There hasn't been a touchstone like that for a society since the moon landing or the assassination of President Kennedy. Another one in more recent memory is the Great Recession from 2008, not that long ago. See, people think that our current unemployment situation is bad. It's 4.6%. The peak during the Great Recession was 25%. This is a point in time where we, think we saw things shake up radically around us. Larger still are those events which shape the world. You know, kind of like the one we're currently still Working through. The COVID 19 pandemic created massive changes to our lives. Massive changes. We saw a surge in movement to an online life. We had online schools. Our meetings went to Zoom. How many of you bought stock in Zoom before the pandemic? Anyone? Because you're taking me to lunch. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm at this point. My life is so adjusted. If I hear if someone like is about to say something to me and I can't hear them, I might just yell out, "You're muted!" Oh no, that's only online. I can't remember. But online shopping grew massively. It, last year, it went up by thirty-two percent in one year, right? We have adjusted our very systems. Some of the current problems we're having with shipping goods is simply the fact that we so radically altered our online shopping that the world has not caught up fully. We saw this in the church with online church attendance. Across the world, churches moved um, online as a response to the outbreak. And then, by the time they started back in person, things had changed around them. Along with new ways of engaging uh, with shopping, with friends, how many of you tried a friends hangout online sometime in the last couple of years? Any of you try that? Yeah. Along with the way that people interact, uh, have changed with how they interact with shopping and with friends, with their education. Millions of people also moved away from church during the pandemic. Now, I'm not talking about those who, uh, who moved away because of per- division or, or anger or frustration over what churches had done or not done during the pandemic. I'm not actually referring to those. I'm talking about people who simply changed their habits, their lives, their rhythms, and they found... That church was no longer necessary. What's really fascinating is that this has happened across the board to churches, whether or not they never went online, whether or not they are still online. In 2020, 22% of churched persons stopped attending church altogether. Now, that's not that they just stopped attending in person. That's not that they just stopped attending church and moved into an online scenario. They just stopped altogether. In 2019, 14% of U.S. people said they never went to church. They never went to church. In 2020, one year later, 53% said that. of the U.S. population, so they never go to church. During this last year, 50%, or during this pandemic, 50% of millennial church attenders stopped attending church altogether. This is true, again, across the board. This is not in our tradition. This is not a problem that the Lutherans are seeing. This is not a problem for the Episcopalians, The Presbyterians, this is a problem for the church. Now, you can look around our own building and recognize that even our attendance is not the same as it was in 2019 during this same time. We're we're currently about 60 to 80 people less than we would be. When I think of... uh, the people who I know maybe aren't a part of our services right now, I can think of a list of people who left due to pandemic conflict. But the good news for the relationships, at least around us, is that's a very short list. That being said, there is a list I'm far more worried about and that's those who have simply atrophied from our community. Now, this is when some of you might be wanting to give me a little pushback and say, yeah, but maybe it's just snowbirds don't want to come as much right now. Maybe this is a scenario of people are just online. People are more sporadic in their attendance. So that's probably why the numbers are. And all of those are true, actually. But they're not all true for everything right now. The reality is, is that we would be in a bad place if we believed that the pandemic has not hit us in the same ways that it's hit other churches. I like to think Trinity is unique, but more often than not, we are a church filled with people. And that means we behave like a church filled with people. Now, this is when you might be asking the question, uh, well, why did this happen to the church? And that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, the answer is really complex. Uh, anyone who tells you that it's not, that it's simple, uh, they're probably speaking from an ideology or something. It, this, is com- this is a complex social situation with multivariable um, analysis would have to be done in order to figure out what happened. To be honest, I think it's probably likely that COVID is much more of a catalyst than a cause of this trend. But to be frank with you, I don't really care why. Now, now that's not my normal thought. If you know me at all, why is a big deal to me. Normally, in this scenario, I would go about analyzing the data. I would consider the conclusions from others who are studying the issue. I would craft some viable modes of action in response to the why. I would then discuss those with people who I know would disagree with me. Hopefully learn something. If not, sharpen my arguments. And we would try to do what we can to figure out a path forward. And maybe someday I'll be interested in doing that. But today, I'm not. Today, I have no institutional proposals for you. This is not a conversation about any grand plans for reforming Trinity, not anything like that. That's not at all what any part of this sermon is about. I want to ask a different question. What does this change? What is the reality of the world around us right now, right here today? What does it change? This is the question I've been asking myself over the last few weeks as we look at all this information that I am bombarded with. I'm a part of a lot of communications around church leadership, around conversations just of the future of the church, and I keep asking, what does this change? So before I answer that question, I want to tell you another one of my favorite stories from history. This is the story of the Hagia Sophia. Uh, this is a giant church in, does anyone know where? Istanbul. Istanbul. If you are one of the Christians that stands around the church, it's Constantinople. Um, but that's a whole long history there, and I'm not going to sing the song. Um, but this, this church, Hagia Sophia, uh, hasn't always looked like this. Uh, those, those minarets around it, were put up when uh, the area was conquered by the Turks and this became uh, a mosque and was converted from a church to a, a Christian church to a mosque and these were, re- these were erected there. Uh, earlier on, this building uh, was, was different on the inside as well. There were a lot of changes that were made. But I want to tell you the story about the church that was there, the Hagia Sophia before the Hagia Sophia before this one. See, because the, the one without the minarets is actually the second one. Back when there was a bishop named John Chrysostom, a great bishop, great theologian, he ran into some conflict with uh, Eudoxia. She was uh, the the wife of the emperor um, at the time. He was the bishop of Constantinople. It was Constantinople at the time, and that meant he was basically the pope of the Eastern Church, okay? The emperor and Chrysostom did not always get along, but that was nothing compared to his wife, the emperor's wife. She really hated Chrysostom. John Chrysostom kept calling out the excesses of the wealth, the people who stood up above all the others, who had special seating in the church. He told them that you shouldn't be acting like this. This is not the proper way for Christians. You could imagine the wealthy and powerful did not like this. The last straw for uh, for John and for uh, for Eudoxia is was was when they decided to put up a giant silver statue right next to the church of Eudoxia. Giant silver statue, of which the people of the city came and celebrated, which the emperor ruled they must celebrate with pagan festivals right there at the church. Pagan festivals, all of the things that John is screaming about, luxuries that the average person didn't have. So what did Chrysostom do? Well, he called out the celebrations. He called out the statue. He said that this itself was an atrocity to the work that's being done here at the church, and you don't understand what the purpose of the church is if you think this is okay. There were threats then to move the silver statue right into the church building itself. So what happened? Well, he continued to yell, and the emperor got upset, banished Chrysostom, And in response, that very night, the people of the church burned the building to the ground. Gone. The people remembered something in this conversation that the emperor did not. The mission of the church cannot be held by your buildings, by your institutions, by your denominations, by anything you craft with your hands, because the mission of the church will keep going. At the end of the day, if it all burns down around us, the mission continues. And so did the work of the church. Because the church doesn't have a mission, the mission of God has a church. We can fail to respond to the reality of the world around us or not, but either way, the mission will continue. Now, you might be wondering what any of this has to do with the text we read today. A big list of names that Paul was saying, I work with this guy and this guy and say hi to that one and that one. Don't forget about this guy who's praying for you constantly and the work of that one over there. Now, it might seem odd that particular text with this, but I want you to remember the context in which Paul is writing. This is a real person dealing with real people who every day are struggling to make it through in a world where there are only maybe 10,000 Christians. If that And he's writing to them and he's saying there's work to be done right here. At the end of this letter, it's not just a letter to teach us all of the things that we need to know about our Christian faith. It's a reminder that the work of the church was started there and it wouldn't stop. And even though Paul was leading a massive movement that seemed to be Growing every single day, he had each individual person he was worried about saying, this person matters, and the work they're doing matters. Don't forget about them. They are praying for you. You matter. And when you read this letter, give it to the next church. Read their letter. Let's go. We've got work. See, Paul knew that in his work, he would create, and he would fail, and he'd try again. He'd be put in jail, he'd create, and then he'd try again. He would create, and then he'd succeed, and then he would Try again. The active church would never allow circumstances to dictate the mission. The mission has a church. It is our job only to make sure that we respond to the mission in the real world that we really have right now. And if that's the case, if the mission has a church, then we have a responsibility, and that is to respond to the world in such a way that shows that Christianity is credible that our faith is credible. If someone can walk away from church and feel like whatever they were a part of in here can be found out there, then somehow we've failed the mission. If they can walk away and feel like whatever they were a part of here can be found out there, then somehow we have failed the mission. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom, and we are called to show the world that another world is possible, not by forcibly reshaping the world around us, but by inviting others to join us in the one that we are crafting here. We can craft it here. Church, this place with each other, we're supposed to be another world. In here, people should know that love, as defined by Jesus, will prevail. In here, people should expect that hate will never find a welcome seat. In here, people should experience a community that rejects fear as a motivator. Church in here, the church, church in here, the world should find another world. To be honest, I think that probably... They should find a beautifully foolish world. One that is surprising, that makes no sense, that shocks them at every turn and every single time, shakes up their soul for an image of God's kingdom. One in which the, the way of Jesus stands above all else. Now you might think that from the information I gave you earlier that I'm worried about the situation. I'm not. I'm really, sincerely, not. Not when it comes to the mission conversation. I'm motivated. That's what I am. Right now, the world around us does not believe that Jesus is credible. And I think they have evidence that sometimes the church has not made Jesus credible. But we are right now in the middle of the greatest opportunity to show the world, Jesus, in my entire lifetime. I have never seen a world shaped like this, ready to hear that there is hope. In my entire life. Church, let's show the world what a community looks like when it's shaped like Jesus I want to remind you of what that means here for us. In some of the things we're already doing, we've got got a burden-bearing fund right here at Trinity, and it is well-funded by you and has been during the pandemic. It has helped people solve the problems of their everyday life who are part of this community. If you are someone who is in need and you are a part of this church, you can find a link to that right on the front page of Trinity Connect. And if that's not, if that's too hard, you send an email to me. You can come walk up to me at any point or anyone else in leadership here, and let them know, and we will get started with you, because we want to be here with each other, for each other, in the places we need every day. Never be afraid to admit that you need help, because that is a lie from outside the church. In here, we all need help at some point. Even if it's not financial, we all need help and should be able to tell each other. In a couple of weeks, we're starting a new project to raise money to build wells across the world for people who do not have access to clean water. This starts along with Advent and we'll be raising money during the Advent season. And I want to encourage you as part of that work of showing the world that a different world is possible, we will give things up for those people who need water. Here's the thing. We are in a church where most of us were not financially negatively impacted during this pandemic. It's been shown that if you are likely to be a white-collar worker, you may have even improved your financial situation during this time. This is my plea. If that's you, during this time when we are raising money for this well, show it in that way. I'm not trying to guilt you. I promise that's not my mode. I'm encouraging you as a reflection of that to say, if my financial situation has improved during the pandemic, I know the world is not in that place and I'm going to give something up for it. Now, listen. We go beyond financial situations as well when we want to show the world something else. Uh, Megan is currently putting together a task force on mission projects to be done here in our community. So you can expect to hear more about that, but the idea is to get us more deeply involved in some of the work around us. But this goes beyond that kind of involvement as well. You do not need to be involved in some massive project, some big new initiative. Don't even need to be building wells across the world. That's not what this is about, either. This comes down really, really low to your everyday life. See, all these projects are great, but that's not the only way to show the world that another world is possible. Uh, I have not told anyone this right now. I'm going to tell you something that I've literally told not a single other person. Last week, um, I dropped my kids off with my mom who was visiting at an activity, and I left to go get chlorine for my pool. So I'm like, you go, you wait. I know I've got about an hour or so here. I'm going to go get chlorine. Chlorine store was closed. Or no, sorry, they were out due to shipping issues of the chlorine I needed. Right? So I go to another one, and I'm annoyed because I had to go to another one. So I go to another one, and I get my chlorine, and I'm coming out, and I'm annoyed. I'm about to head back, and a guy stops and asks me for change. I am called an older millennial. I carry no change. I carry no cash unless I have to. There's absolutely no way that was going to happen. And I said something that's very common for me, which is, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have any. But I had a sense that I was not supposed to stop there. So I stopped for a second. I put away my chlorine and I talked to the guy. And I asked him what his name was. His name was Steve. I asked him what was happening in his life. He had addiction issues and he was homeless and he had been for quite some time. So I talked for a few more minutes. Steve needed food. So right next to to this chlorine store, to this pool store, was a grocery store. I said, all right, well, Steve, I don't have any cash, but I can go buy you some groceries. So we went into the grocery store, and we talked, walking up and down the aisles, about Steve's life and what he's gone through and what he's seen in the world. And he picked up some groceries, some that I wouldn't have got, but I wasn't judging. (laughs) And we got to the front, and we paid, and I had to get going back because I was already running out of time. I had very little time. And as we're heading back, he asked me why I was doing that. And I said, you know, we've all done bad things and had bad things done to us. But I don't deserve all the things that have happened to me in my life. And I don't think you do either. That was all I felt compelled to say. And he stopped and he said, wouldn't it be great if we all thought that way and treated each other like that? And he sat back down, pulled out some crackers, and started eating. And he said, "I don't, I don't believe that that world is possible, though. Church, I believe that world is possible. There are people in your lives today who need you to believe that world is possible." There are people around you today who need you to be a credible witness to what Jesus can do. Now, maybe you're worried that you aren't a credible witness. Maybe maybe you're worried you're not a credible witness. And you know what? You probably aren't. Don't worry. I'm not either. I fail more than I succeed. But we are not reliant We are not reliant on personality, our personal presence, or any power that comes even from our community. We are reliant on the power of Jesus to do that within us, which can let you say, I may not have enough, but I know someone who does, and I can actually let go and experience that and be willing to listen. Guys, I'm telling you, I did not want to talk to Steve I wanted to put the chlorine in my car and leave. But if I listen to the way of Jesus, there's something that can draw us in better. When we submit to Jesus together as a community, in not in my strength and not in your strength, but in our strength, we will still fail. But Jesus won't. Through us, Jesus will work. We can show other people that another world is possible. Let's pray. God thank you for each piece of possibility that you've given us around that we don't always see. Maybe we be more open, maybe we listen more deeply, and may we believe what you have taught us that the ways of this world will not always be the case that we represent something bigger and better. May we submit to that, to your power to change it.